0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Soul City Church. For those of you who are gathered here, those of you who are in our Overflow Corner classroom space, uh, we're so glad that you're here today. Uh, We are concluding a teaching series called Pleading for Promises, where we've been looking at the way that we pray and why it is that we ask God over and over again for things that He's actually already promised us, and how might we pray maybe a different way, a better way, build our lives actually on the promises of God and what that might change in our life. So this weekend, we're specifically going to be looking at our needs, the things that we need in life, the things that we never feel like we have enough of in life, and what God actually has to do with those things and what he's already promised us as a good and loving God. Now, one of the things that I love about working here. And living in the neighborhood is that I, a couple days a week, I actually get to walk to our kids' school and pick them up from school after school. And it's so much fun to be able to do that, just walk a block away, pick our kids up. And then the thing that I love more than that is actually taking them to the playground afterwards because they've worked hard all day and they just want to let loose, right, in the playground, which, by the way, I think for all of us who work an eight-hour day, we should have at least one mandatory recess at some point <laughs> where you just get to run outside for a little bit, because that's what they love to do. They're, they just go nuts outside after school, and it's good for them to do that. And what I love in watching them is that lots of times, like, you don't have to teach kids how to make up games. They're going to figure out how to have fun no matter what. And they actually, like, there's games that they're, like, figuring out that I used to play as a kid, so that's kind of cool. But then there's, like... There's some games that I feel like I need to help them with, bring back, as it were, to the mainstream. And one of those games that I love playing as a kid, that I have yet to see them play after school, is a game called Mother May I. Does anyone remember Mother May I? Yeah, don't clap. It's the worst game of all. This is a terrible, terrible game. If you stop and think about the rules of Mother May I, if you're not familiar with Mother May I and how it works, this is basically how it works. Uh, An evil and sadistic, power-hungry demigod deems themselves mother, okay? And so they're the one with all the power. And then it's basically the rest of us who have to plead and beg with mother if we can have the scraps of her kindness and generosity. And so you ask mother for uh, two baby steps. Uh, Mother, may I have three scissor steps? I mean, like you beg because what you don't want to do is don't upset mother because mother will turn on you. You'll get nothing from mother. All right? So the goal is you have to, like, like, you know, know, figure out how to ask her for just enough but not too much so that you can eventually cross the line, and then you get to become the power-hungry, sadistic demigod yourself. And so this is, like, if you just stop and think about that for a second, what does that game teach us in life? (laughs) is that power is fickle and it will turn on you in an instant and you have no control or say in the matter. This is a terrible game <laughs> that I want to see more kids playing. <laughs> and so, like, if you've ever thought about how it works, just, just play it out for a second. Uh, Danny, ask me, ask me if you can have two baby steps. No, Danny, you didn't even ask the right way. Ask the right way. Go ahead, please. I'm listening. No. No, you can't. Jenny, can you ask me for three scissor steps? Mother, may I have three scissor steps? No. I can't. Joel, can you ask me for two karate steps? Mother, may I have two karate steps? Yes. No, Joel, we actually want you to do that right now. So you have to take two karate steps. Come on. All right, give it to Joel. You win, Joel. Well done. All right, see, this game teaches us nothing. It teaches us nothing. And yet, okay, so what we're talking about today, we're not just schoolyard games. Here's the deal, that for many of us, when it comes to the needs that we have in our life, this is how we approach God in prayer. So afraid, we don't want to ask for too much because he might not give it to us. We're afraid and we don't know if we can trust if he'll actually be consistent to us. He gave it to someone else, but he may not give it to us. And so oftentimes we come to God in prayer, listen to me, like we're playing, Mother, may I? Oh, Father, may I? Father, may I have a job, please? A job would be great. I don't want to bother you, though. I know you got a lot of things going on. But I really love a job. And so we come hesitant, we come fearful become unsure, second-guessing the goodness of God. Father, Father, may I have, I don't know how I'm going to have enough money this month to make it all work. So maybe, I mean, if it doesn't bother you, it's not too much, could you maybe possibly, you see how we can so easily come to God afraid of God. Father, may I have someone to spend the rest of my life with? preferably before my life ends, would be great. Maybe even today, which is why I came to church, right? Just if we were to be honest with God, that's maybe what our prayers would sound like. But so often what we do is we let fear hijack and sabotage our faith so that our prayers end up in small and subtle ways, just really leaving us worried and wondering if God actually has enough for us afraid to ask for what we really need because we are so afraid, we're so worried we might not get it. Can you see how that kind of posturing can keep you at a distance from God, keep you at a distance from the life he actually created you to live, always unsure that he is going to actually come through for you. Does God really have enough for me? And I suppose if we're going to talk about pleading for promises and how we pray a different way when it comes to what we need, we need to ask honestly that question. We need to sit with that question. Do I really trust that God has enough for me? Do I really trust? Now listen, do I really trust that God has enough? If, if you want to know the answer to that question, think about how you pray. Do I really trust that God has enough or do I find myself sort of pleading and hoping and not wanting to bother him and feeling like I'm asking too much so I better pray for some other people but what I really wanna do is pray for me and so you kinda do that dance with God and you have to ask yourself, do I trust that God actually has enough for me? Do I trust that God has enough money for me? Do Do I trust that there's enough for me? Do I trust that the God who created time, you know, the one he came up with the whole time construct, do I trust that he has enough time for me? Because I look at my list and all the things I need, I never have enough time. And so God, I don't know if you have enough time. I don't know if can you stop time. Do you still do that? Like how can you can you make this? I don't know, God, if you have enough time for me. God, I don't know if you have enough for the relationships in my life. There's a conflict in my life. There's a conflict in these relationships. God, I don't know if you have enough courage for me to face that conflict, to face that pattern in my life. God, I don't know if you have enough power for me to face and break this addiction in my life. And so oftentimes we come to God second guessing His goodness and letting our worry actually become our prayer list. So all the things that we're worried about become like a list of things that we pray to God. I mean, if you ever found yourself praying that way, just kind of listing off, rallying off, I don't know about this, I don't know about that, I don't know if there's enough for this. We get all worked up with our worry and we miss, actually, we miss the goodness of God in the midst of all of that. Might there be a better way for us To pray. A better way of coming to God instead of sort of second guessing and not wanting to ask for too much and not wanting to push too far. Might there be a better way for us to live, to build your life actually on the promises of God that are already always true for you? So here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to look at a better way that Jesus taught us. And they not only taught us, he actually lived and modeled himself. So I want you to grab a Bible and turn to Matthew 6. We're going to look at a better way to pray. Matthew chapter 6. Now look, if you don't have a Bible, we've got you covered. There should be a Bible in your seat back or right in front of your seat. Grab that. You can turn to page 679. You might want to grab a pen too. We're going to write some notes, take some things, circle some words in this Bible. Page 679 in this Bible, Matthew chapter 6. Let me give you some context. We're coming into, stepping into the most famous sermon of all time, all history. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus gives this unbelievable sermon where he talks about what life with God actually looks like, what it looks like when heaven invades earth, and how we live with God in this world. And he talks about things like prayer. He talks about things like our finances. He talks about real practical things and really, really spiritual things. I mean, it's this unbelievable sermon. In the middle of it all, in Matthew chapter 6, We have this moment where Jesus talks to us about our needs and what it is that we need and who God is in the face of what we need. And whether or not we actually believe he has enough for us. So, this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Let's start at verse 25. Jesus says these words after all this preaching that he's already done, he says, So therefore, I tell you, kind of in summing it all up, I tell you, don't worry about it. That's basically what he says. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about your life. Now, hit pause. Like that. Like for you, you hear Jesus say, don't worry about your life. You go, really? (laughs) Jesus, have you seen my life? Because I get that you're the son of God and you've got this all figured out, but I don't, okay? And you're telling me not to worry. Have you seen my worry list? I like have a list of things I'm worried about. Like, have you seen what this actually is? And he says, no, 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 don't worry about your life. And then he goes on to explain why. Well, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or a, about your body or what you're going to wear. And he asked this question. I'm going to underline this. Is life, is not life more than just food and the body more than just clothes? Jesus is asking a deeper question. He's saying, isn't, isn't there more going on here than just food and clothes and all the things that we see on the surface? Because the message of this world is all about those things. It's all about those things. Those superficial surface things, that's what the, all, you know, the messages of our world are all about being consumed with those things. But Jesus goes, hold up, hold up. up." You, You know that there's more to it than that, right? There's much, much deeper things going on in this world and in your life than just the things that you're worried about on the surface. So he could tell that his audience had the same kind of like, you know, glazed over look that some of you have right now. So he goes, okay, okay. Let me explain it to you. Let me break it down for you. Just look up, he says. Verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't like sow. They don't reap or store away in barns. They don't hustle. They don't clock in and clock out. They don't have a 401k. They have not diversified their resources. They have a nest egg, but it's not like the kind you're thinking. It's an actual nest with eggs in it. They don't worry about any of that kind of stuff. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them every day. Since the day he created them, he feeds them every day. Are you not much more valuable than they, Jesus says? Do you think you matter more to God than cute little birds? And then he goes on to say this, and I think it's a powerful question. Again, deep, poignant question. in And it's a very real world illustration Jesus gives us. He says, listen, listen, can any one of you, by worrying about all of those things, add a single hour to your life. Jesus says, can any of you, by all your little worry list that we call the prayer list, all your worry list, all the things you need that you can't see how it's all gonna happen, Jesus says, no, listen, by working really hard at worrying on those things, can that add an hour to your life? Does anyone here know the answer? No, but we still try every day, don't we? We still try, Jesus says, does does all your worry and all your fear and all your anxiety, does it really have any power? I mean, other than the power to keep you at a distance from the life God created for you, Does that worry ever actually accomplish anything? I mean, when was the last time you were worried about a tough conversation you need to have with your boss at work? And you were so worried about it, and you thought about it for a week, and you knew you had to say this really hard thing to your boss, and you had scenarios like in the shower, in the car. You played this conversation out again and again and again. How many of you got a call in the middle of the week from your boss saying, Hey, I've heard you've been worrying about our conversation. You know what? Don't worry about it. We don't even have to meet. You can have it all. Has that ever happened to anyone? That is yet to happen to me. No one has rewarded my worry. Jesus says, yeah, you can't change a single thing by worrying about it. But there is another way. There's actually a better way for you. Verse 28, he says, why do you worry? Don't worry about clothes. See how the fowl, he goes, look, you've looked up at the birds. He's like, right everyone look down. Look at the flowers of the field and how they grow. They don't labor or spin. They don't work at it. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, the most regal ruler in all of Israel, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these little flowers. So verse 30, he says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Take care of you. And then he uses this little phrase that can seem a little off putting at first. He says, You of little faith. But that phrase, you of little faith, actually translates to the phrase, My little ones. My little ones. My beloved ones. My ones who are not yet mature, do not yet know that they can trust God for it all. So Jesus goes on to say, verse 31. So, in summing up, don't worry. You don't have to worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans actually run after all these things. And the word pagans there can be translated for those who don't have a relationship with God, or better yet, to those who have made themselves God. He says, look, don't worry. They, they spend their lives chasing their tails after these things. He says, don't worry about it. That's what they're consumed with. Your heavenly Father knows that you, what's the word? Knows that you need them. He knows your needs. Every single one of them. Your heavenly Father knows your needs, cares about your needs. He has enough for you. So Jesus says, let me give you a practical application, a different way to pray, a way of reprioritizing your list. He goes on to say this in verse 33. So, Seek first God's kingdom, his righteousness, his will, his way. Seek God first. And he says, here's the great thing. Here's the bonus. All the rest of that stuff comes with him. Seek God first. Start with God first. Not your big long list of all that you need, not all the things you're worried, anxious about, not all the dots you can't seem to connect. Start with God. Start by seeking and starting with him first. And all the rest of these things will be given to you by a good and loving God. See, Jesus is completely flipping the script for us. He's reprioritizing the list because I don't know about you, maybe this is true of you too, but when it comes to the things that I need in my life, this is what tends to happen. I tend to get my list going of all the things that I need. I begin to knock it all off and go, okay, I can take care of this on my own, or I can kind of make sure I can get that, and then I kind of get it all down to the things that I can handle, and then there's the things that I can't handle, and I'm not sure how it's all going to work, or how I'm going to make it happen, and then I go to God and say, God, I just want to let you know, I want to bring you up to speed on where we're at. I've accomplished some of these things for you, all right, but I've got a few places where I'm stuck, and I'd love for you to hop in and make a difference. What do you say? That's how I come to God so often. God, I've made my list. I've done what I can do. Now I don't know what to do about this. So how about you? Can you do something? Jesus is saying, that's great. But what might happen if you flip the list and start by saying, God, I'm coming to you first. And I'm going to trust that you know what I need. Because I don't always know what I need. In fact, I oftentimes get what I want and what I need mixed up. And so oftentimes, I don't, if I'm being honest, I don't really need what I want. And sadly, I don't always want what I need. But there is a one who knows me, who created me, who loves me, who knows everything that I need. And he's actually able to provide for me. Listen, I know some of y'all have been out of work for too long now. It's starting to drive you crazy. And you're wondering, God, are you going to come through for me? Do you know you wouldn't be here today if he wasn't taking care of your daily needs, and he will continue to do so. Some of you are so longing to be in a relationship. God knows your needs. He knows what you need, and instead of starting with the big long list of all those things, what if you said, God, I trust you, I trust you, I trust that you actually know my needs. I need to be reminded of that, that you already know. God, I don't have to bring you up to speed. I don't have to remind you. You already know more so than even I do. And sometimes I need a little reminder when I find myself kind of walking down that path of worry and getting all worked up about that stuff. I need a little reminder for me. And so I wrote this down a couple weeks ago, actually preparing for our talk. And this is just for me, but I wanted to share it with you today. Maybe you might want to write it down too. This is what I wrote down. I wrote down, I need to know that God knows what I need. Like on the daily, I need to know that God knows what I need. I need to know that God actually knows what I need and I can start there and that is actually enough. He knows what I need. He knows what I need. Now listen, I want y'all to get This, because this is pretty important stuff, transformational stuff. So here's what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have you turn to the person next to you as a moment of confession, and all you have to do is say this phrase that's up on the screen. So this is great news. Introverts, it's one sentence. You can do this. And as we say, extroverts, it's just one sentence. All you have to say. It's on the board, okay? All right, so I want you to turn to the person next to you. This is not hypothetical. Turn to the person next to you, and I want you to say this phrase. I need to know that God knows what I need. need. Very good. I need to know that as well. Now, here's the deal. You get to be the preacher. I want you to turn back to that same person, and I want you to say, you need to know that God knows what you need. That feels kind of good, doesn't it, to tell someone else what to do? It's good. You need to know that God knows what you need. He actually already knows, and he hears the great good news that is consistently promised throughout the Bible. He not only knows, but he can meet every one of your needs. He has enough. He has enough for you. No more mother may I prayers. He already knows, and he is ready to meet every single one of your needs. Needs, I think perhaps one of the greatest tragedies of what we've come to call faith in our world today is that far too often we are too afraid to ask a good and loving God for what he's already promised to give. That far too often, far too many of us, myself included, are too afraid to ask a good and loving God for what he's already promised to give. And I saw how shallow at times, how worry-filled and anxious my prayers can be uh, years ago when Gene and I took a trip to Zambia and we had partnered with a great organization there and we're working with them to see a ton of kids have the opportunity to go to school and to have all the books and the uniform that they needed for school and we wanted to go see our kids. And Dorothy was our daughter that we had adopted there, so we were going to go see her and spend a day with her, and we couldn't wait to see her. And so a bunch of us went there, and I'm telling you, on that trip, as we were walking through one of the villages we walked through, we were there to try and bring some you know, help, if we could, some hope, some dignity, specifically to folks who were suffering with and who had been faced with HIV-AIDS. And uh, it was overwhelming, I'm going to be honest with you. Overwhelming. And in fact, there was one village that we went to where we walked into a, a house that was no bigger than probably the smallest room in your house, about a dozen or so folks living in there. And the day before, a woman had given birth to a child. And I say woman, I mean a 16-year-old girl. And in fact, there's a picture of Jean and I and her right there. Her name is Memory. Isn't that beautiful? What's her name? And we came in there to see if we could pray for her and to listen to her story and Through the work of our translator, one of our translators that was with us there, we found out that she not only just had this baby the day before, we asked if we could pray for this baby, and we asked what the baby's name was, and she said, I haven't named her yet. And said to Jeannie, will you name her? I mean, this is just one house that we walked in. and So without missing a beat, Jeannie named her Grace right there on the spot, and we prayed for baby Grace But in the next house we walked in, there was a woman not much older than memory who did not have much longer to live, probably about a day or so left. And being struck with all of that, life in one home, death in the next, and being surrounded by such poverty and such suffering, I found, if I'm being honest, I found my heart beginning to wander down that desolate path of of doubt and disappointment with God. going, God, is there really enough? Because it doesn't feel like it here. It doesn't feel like there's enough here. And I'm telling you, I've walked down that path several times in my life, and I might have gotten lost on that path if it weren't for the women that we were walking with See, the women that we were walking through that particular village with were women who themselves were widows. Every one of them, in fact, had been widowed. They'd lost husbands. They'd lost parents to HIV-AIDS. They'd lost children, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. Every one of them had a story of loss. But it was the way that these women prayed. It was the way that they prayed. These women prayed like lions like fierce prayers like Beyonce has nothing on these women prayers okay <laughs> fierce prayers of full of faith and courage in God and as they prayed as we walked in the streets together their prayers i'm telling you found me and held me up and as they prayed i did not hear a single time that they prayed As we prayed and we sang together, as we walked through this village, not a single prayer began with the word if. So often, mind you, God, if you would see fit, God, if you wouldn't mind, God, if it's not too much to ask, not a single prayer started with the word if. They started with the word because. God, because of who you are, and then they would give it to God. They would let him have it. God, because of what you've promised. God, because of what you've done. God, because you are Father. God, because you are Healer. And they were literally walking on the promises of God every single step as death and suffering and poverty surrounded them. They prayed from an unshakable, unbreakable place where death and poverty and HIV AIDS were not welcome. Because of who you are, God, listen. These women prayed like lions. They didn't just believe in God. They'd gotten over that years before. They believed God. And there's a difference. And I saw it in their prayer. They believed God. They believed that he was actually good. They were pleading for the fact that he had already promised. They were holding him to his end of the bargain. God, you better be who you say you are, a good and loving and generous God. These women expected God to be so. To know the God these lions prayed to is to know that he is fundamentally and foundationally good. That he is actually good good, that he is incomprehensibly good, that he is good beyond reason, that he is good beyond measure, that he is actually good beyond anything that you and I could ever deserve on our own. To know this God that these women prayed to is to know that he knows your needs. He knows every single one of your needs more than you do, more than I do, and that he is capable of taking care of you. To know this God is to trust that He has enough. He has enough for you. He has enough for you. But more than that, what I saw in these women, in their because prayers, was not only that God has enough, but that God is enough. He is enough, bigger than my circumstances, bigger than my superficial surface needs, all the things that I actually need. He's bigger than all of that. The question that you and I have to face today is, do I trust that God is enough? Do I trust that God actually is enough? See, this is when our prayers begin to shift like Jesus talked about this is when things get reprioritized where we don't start by saying god you know can you do this and god i need this and god i need that to our prayers just turn to a place of saying god i need you because yeah. if i get you i get everything else <laughs> So instead of just kind of like trying to pick off each of these things, I'm just going for you. I need you, God, because I believe that you have enough. I believe that you are enough for me and for everything that I need. This is when the shift begins to happen is when I say, God, I trust that you are enough for me and for everything that I will face in my life. See, listen, me. to this is why I love the posture and the path that God has had our church on over these last, couple months, because we've been living in that space. Do I trust that God is actually enough for me and for this church? And if you've been around here for longer than, oh, 30 seconds, you've heard us talk about for the love for the last couple of months, because this is a faith-raising adventure that we've committed to, that we say, God, we actually want to be a part of something bigger than us in our lifetime. God, we actually want to believe you, that your love is for all people, And you're inviting us to make more room for more people to experience the transformational love of Jesus. This has been a faith and trust journey for our church. And I I love where God has been leading us in the midst of it all. One of the profound privileges that I have and that Jeannie has as one of our lead pastors is we get to sit in a seat where we get to hear the stories of everyday ordinary folks choosing to go all in with God and to trust him for who he is and that he can provide for us as we give to what he's doing through this church and so we get to hear awesome stories. I wish I could share them all with you. I think they would be such an encouragement to you. That there's folks just like you who are working it out, wrestling it out with God, and choosing to trust Him for all of who He is. While I can't share all of the stories, I would love to share one with you today. And it's my friend David Harden. David's been a part of this church for almost since the beginning. Actually started coming to this church on a serving trip. Never even walked in these doors before. Just ended up in Joplin, Missouri with us doing disaster relief work on a trip. And then eventually came to this church after that as he was praying through and considering what it means for him to trust God with his resources to give, to for the love, to make that two-year commitment, he got all fired up and excited, which is easy for Dave to do. That happens. If you're around him, you get fired up and excited. But then he began to do the math and realize, okay, I feel like God's leading me, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. Because his job, he's self-employed. And for those of you who are self-employed, you know, you can have a great month and then a not-so-great month the next month. And so he was going, okay, God, I don't know. I don't know how this is gonna work, but I feel like you're leading me. And rather than me telling you his story, I'd love for you to hear David's story of trust and faith, and then I'll come and wrap us up in the next few moments.
1: I've been coming to Soul City for just over four and a half years, and before I even stepped foot into the building, I had the opportunity to see Soul City's heart and see how they want to serve. It was through a mission trip down to Joplin after the tornado hit. A friend of mine, she said, hey, you should come with. These a great group of people. So I went on a trip with eight strangers down to a place from a church that I've never been into. We came back that Sunday night for the 5 p.m. service all dirty and filthy and stepped up on stage. It was the first time I walked in, and I really got to see the true nature of Soul City, the, the, the need and desire to to serve the community, and I immediately knew that I was home. I immediately knew that I found my new church. When I first heard of the For the Love campaign, Half of me was super excited because this is a great way for Soul City to reach out to the community and bring more people to Christ. But the other half of me, there's two reactions. One, they're asking for money. And then two, a two-year commitment asking for money? There's no way I could commit to two years to that. I've been self-employed for eight years. One month I can make this much, the next month I can make this little. I don't have consistent income. So during the sermon about For the Love, I kept hearing God put this number in my head. And my first response was, I can't commit to that, no way. Kept putting it on my head, I kept coming in there, kept coming in there, and by the end of the service, I was like, okay, I'm gonna trust in you. You'll provide. I, I, I don't have steady income, but you will provide. So I go home that night, talk to my wife. She tells me her number, and we commit to this. Now, what's exciting about that was I've been interviewing for a job that will allow me to keep my self-employment, but also get some stability in finances. Uh, it's a dream come true. And uh, I, I didn't have the job yet. I've been interviewing for the last couple months for it. And my wife and I, we said, let's commit to it no matter what. God will provide if I get this job or if I don't, let's commit to that number. Three days later after I uh, committed that number, I went to Boston, interviewed my final interview for the job, and I got the job. It, it was truly God's answer to my prayers. God basically saying, this is how I'm going to provide for you. I'm excited to see how For the Love is going to give Soul City the opportunity to change the lives of people here in the neighborhood and bring people to Christ. I'm also excited and a little nervous to see how he's gonna change my life over the next two years so I can be For the Love.
0: Awesome. I love, I love David and his wife Jess, and I love his story of just saying, you know what, it doesn't all make sense on the surface, but I'm going to choose to trust you, God. I'm going to kind of go all in with all of who you are. And that really has been what this has been all about. Next weekend, uh, we have something really special. Next weekend is our fifth anniversary as a church. We turn five years old next time. That's pretty cool. Going to kindergarten now. We're excited about that. But part of our celebration next week is we're going to have a moment to celebrate God's faithfulness through For the Love, to celebrate what God has done through all of us through For the Love. And it is going to be a powerful moment. Now, Jeannie has been telling me lately that I keep overhyping the next weekend so that we have to keep rising up to deliver it. So I don't want to overhype next weekend. So let's just say that moment is going to be really. Fun. I'll just agree to that, whatever that means to you. It's going to be a powerful moment for our church. And this is what I don't want to happen next Sunday. Now, this is for those of us who call God our Father, call this church our home. If you're here for the first time this week and you're like, oh my gosh, they really hit me up for money in my very first week. No, next week we will, but not this, not this week. No, it's not even about that. This is for those of us who've been in this and go, no, I see that God is at work. I can tell he's at work. Next weekend, we're going to celebrate. We're going to reveal what God has done through our church. And here's what I don't want. I don't want you standing here next Sunday going, wow, look at what they did. But we want to say, no, look what God did through us look what we get to be a part of. How good and generous and faithful is God that he would allow us to be a part of something he is so clearly doing. I don't want you to miss next Sunday. I don't want you to miss that moment. So we want to take a moment right now, call it our last pit stop before the end of the race. If you have yet to Make your commitment to For the Love. And again, I'm talking to those of us who call this place home. You've been coming here for a couple months now. You've been coming here this year. You've seen how God has changed your life. That's who I'm talking to. The rest of you can just kind of listen in if you'd like. But if you have yet to make your commitment for whatever reason, maybe you missed Commitment Sunday or you've been meaning to do it or you've been wrestling with some of the things David was just talking about. I don't know how this is all going to work. And so you've been kind of stalling and struggling. And maybe if you're being honest, there's some fear, there's some worry wrapped up in there for you to really make this commitment. Then we want to provide a space for you to do it today so that you can celebrate and be a part of what God is doing next weekend on our fifth anniversary. So in your seat back, there should be one of these. I'm going to ask everyone to grab it because if everyone grabs it, it makes it easier for everyone else. So go ahead and grab this commitment card. Some of you have already filled this out. You filled it out a while ago. You've made your commitment. Thank God for you. Thank you for your trust and faith in God. Some of you filled it out a while ago, but yet as you have, you've been sitting going, oh, I think God is leading me to more. And this isn't about like second offering, like keep on passing it until we get enough thing. This is about giving you enough Space to really sit with God, to ask to believe and to commit. And my hunches, I know there's some folks who are like, "You know what? I think there's more. I think there's more. Or maybe you've never filled this out, you've been coming for a while, you've been mean to do it, but you have yet to do it. And so I want to give you some space. Like while I'm talking, it's OK to multitask. Start filling this out both sides. You can fill this out because in a moment, we're going to have you come forward and drop off your commitment card and be prayed for by name. Our prayer team is going to put a hand on you and they're going to bless God and bless you for your faithfulness and trust that he is enough. Some of you have filled this out online over the last couple of weeks since Commitment Sunday, but you've not come forward to receive prayer. This is an important moment. It matters to us that we all get to receive this moment. And as we've said all the way through, as we're seeking God and trusting God for $7 million to build our Ministry Transformation Center right here in the West Loop, the most important number of all is 100%. That all of us, all of us who call God our Father and this church our home, would respond to his goodness. That's all, just 100%, that's all. But that's what we believe. Every one of us, in all kinds of different ways, is invited to trust God to take a step, to make a commitment, to be faithful to him, to be a part of what he's doing. So I wanna pray. And when I'm done praying, we're gonna actually give you some space to come and drop these cards off. And before we get to my little prayer, I wanna make sure that you really get what this is about. This is between you and God and trusting God and giving like never before. So we wanna provide some space and for some of you, it'll be time for you to fill out your commitment card and get that all filled out and if make sure maybe if there's stuff you're adding to your previous commitment, you can do that now. But for some of us who've already done all that who don't feel prompted or led to do that, then I'd ask you to take a posture, which we often take, which is just open hands. And over the next 60 seconds or so, would you pray some because prayers to God? Try this out and see what it feels like to seek God first in your prayers. Instead of starting with your big long list, to just start with God and say, God, because you are good, I'm trusting you with this. God, because you are Father, I'm trusting you with this. God, because you are a healer, I'm trusting you with this. And start your prayer from that place of because. So for the next 60 seconds, before I pray, before we sing a closing song together, we want to provide you space to reflect, to fill out that card if you're being led to do that, and to start your prayers with that word, because, and see what God does. So I'll be back in a moment to pray and then we'll respond to God together. You stand right now and join me in a prayer of because. And in a moment, I'm going to say amen. And for those of you who have not yet made your commitment or want to add to your commitment to have a moment to be prayed for, I'm going to invite you to come right on up. When I say amen, here's the deal. Like this service ends in a couple minutes. So you're not gonna have like an extended time. We want you to do it now so that you can actually be able to celebrate with us this next weekend. So when I say amen, if you wanna come up, drop off your commitment or representative of your commitment that you've already made online, have someone pray for you, please come forward and do so. Don't miss this moment. And then we're gonna worship and respond to God together by claiming our dependence on him and singing out and saying out, God, we need you. We desperately need you. So you join me in a prayer right now together. God, because you have invited us to come, we come. Because of what your son Jesus has done, we can actually enter your throne room of grace. Because of what he's done, all of our sin can be forgiven. Our fear can be washed over with trust and with love. God, because you are good, I trust you in this moment that there is no fear, no guilt, no manipulation, no nothing, just people choosing to trust you with all of who they are for all of who you are. God, because you are here, we don't have to Pray to a God that's out there somewhere. We believe that your power and your presence is here in real time in this moment. God, because of that, there is freedom in this room because there's no condemnation for us who claim and cling to your son, Jesus Christ. And because your love has been made available and known to us through Jesus, I pray that if there is anyone who has walked at a distance from you, who has walked away from you, that they would know right now that they can come home to you, they can come back to you, they can find you, they can know you, they can be changed and transformed by you today. Thank you. Because you love us, we actually are invited to love others. And so, God, that's all we want to do, and we cannot do it on our own. And so we come to you, and we cling to you, and we need you more than we know. Thank you, God, as we come to you, we can cling to this promise. You are enough. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.